37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Happy St. Patty's Day, everybody. Welcome to episode 185 of Pixelated Paranormal. And this one is going to be kind of an ad-libbed show because we weren't necessarily counting on recording uh, this week because I was supposed to be in Colorado. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the one-year anniversary of last year's canceled Colorado trip. And yet again, it was canceled due to inclement weather. Damn. Yeah. So hopefully everybody listening in Denver, Boulder, Estes, and the surrounding areas are all safe and doing well. I don't know how much snow they ended up getting, but Shayla and I checked the weather. We were supposed to leave uh, last Friday morning at like 6 a.m. We checked the weather Wednesday and come to find out they were calling from anywhere between 2 to 8 feet of snow. And you got, uh, you, uh, you went to Kansas City. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. We ended up just doing a little weekend trip to Kansas City, yeah. And then um, you spoiled yourself with a bunch of goodies. <laughs> I did, man. Um, so huge shout out to Mills Record Company up there in Kansas City. Um, I wish Steve was on here to talk about it. We'll talk about it more next time. But yeah, Steve turned me on. And I think you've been there too, haven't you, to Mills? Nope. Okay, so it was Steve. Steve turned me on to Mills Record Company in downtown KC. I think it's kind of somewhere near the up town i thought anyway this is a badass record store man like my niche has always been horror movie and sci-fi movie soundtracks over anything else and they've not disappointed yet and we were both kind of bummed out that we didn't uh you know get to go to colorado after all but in the end it saved a ton of money in our pocketbook to which we went out and did some just splurgerous spending and I happened to find, I mean, a record I thought I'd never, never come across, and that is the Waxwork Records double LP for the Day of the Dead score, which has been out of print for a very long time, sold out online, and scalpers online won a stupid amount of money. And Old Mills had a copy of that, brand new, still sealed for 45 bones. And so, uh, yeah, I jumped on that shit real quick. Damn. Yeah, I was I was very excited, man. Uh, very, very excited. Felt like fate because we didn't take our trip to Colorado. Maybe it's because I was supposed to go find that record. But <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I helped out another guy who's uh, a part of a vinyl record collecting club I'm in on Facebook. I put on there, I found a white whale that I've been looking for for a while and put a picture of that. And this guy got on and said, oh, my God, where'd you find that? How much did you pay? And I said, well, I paid about 45 bucks for it at Mills. And as a matter of fact, they have a second sealed copy there in their understock that I came across as well. And so that dude was able to jump on, call, and order that online to be shipped to his house. And so I was not the only one that scored this very, very hard-to-find record, but somebody else found it too. And so that, folks, is my story of the pot of gold that I Hell had. yeah. Yeah. Then I grabbed the Monster Squad score from Mondo, and then I also grabbed uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 1 score that just got released. And it came with two hand-cut pieces of film from the original film from the 80s, so that's pretty badass. But listen, records and everything are cool, but I think you bought yourself a little something-something even cooler than the records I found. You want to talk about your recent uh, 
recent purchase. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, with the the move that uh, we got coming up, um, old Bertha, my uh, 1993 F one fifty with two hundred and thirty five thousand miles on her. Um, she doesn't like to go above fifty fifty five. <laughs> and uh, the bearings and the steering wheel are a little worn out, and uh, the driver side window doesn't roll down, and the dr- passenger door doesn't open on the inside. So she's got some issues. But she's a she's a <laughs> she's a faithful old gal, and uh, I thought with the extra drive from moving out to Andover to where I work, um, it was time that Daddy invested in a a new truck and uh so yeah i ended up getting myself a uh 2019 f-150 4x4 in ingot silver ingot silver what a fun color yeah yeah dude that's a big old truck and i'm discovering all these buttons that i have no idea what they do and then <laughs> i discovered also by searching on the internet that that particular year has an adaptive transmission that learns from how you drive. Oh, nice. uh, So because somebody else had put 20,000 miles on it, it's having to relearn how I drive versus how that other person drove it. So uh, (laughs) that's interesting. Wow. So what does it do? Does it skip a lot or does it shift pretty hard or what goes on whenever it's trying to relearn? It just, uh, like sometimes like, uh, like if you're going, like when it, you know, you're shifting from like, let's say like 30 to 40, yeah. um, it might hit hard for a second because it's having to realize like, oh, this other motherfucker was gunning it all the time. And this guy drives like a grandpa. So I don't have to shift here anymore. <laughs> so it has to relearn all these tricks. So, oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's cool that it can readapt to a new driver. I was going to question if yeah. maybe you just got to learn how to drive like the other guy <laughs> yeah. or gal. Just fucking gun it everywhere, Mario and Andretti. Yeah. <laughs> well, hell yeah, man. Uh, that's awesome. I'm glad you got to upgrade. And, you know, old Bertha, for as old and beat up as she is, man, she was, like you said, all faithful. Oh, yeah. Got you where you had to go. And, uh yeah, so you're going to keep that old truck around, huh? Maybe teach uh, Blake and Addie how to drive in that old bastard? Oh, yeah, and then, uh, you know, on the property, having to haul, like, trees and logs and everything else, I'm just going to keep her and, you know, p- pile around the property with it, so. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. Well, congrats, man. That's pretty, Thank you. pretty dang cool. Yeah, you're welcome. So like we said, it's going to be kind of a uh, ad-libbed episode because we weren't planning on recording. But luckily, uh, listeners of the show have kind of sent in some stories for us that happen to uh, be perfect timing because we didn't otherwise have anything else to talk about. We're going to talk about a couple news stories, which are actually kind of... uh, Well, one of them is a follow-up. The other one is kind of loosely related to a previous episode. And then, of course, we have one main chunk of meat for the main story here that'll be about uh, leprechauns for the spirit of St. Patty's Day. Hell yeah. So our first story. A one-year-old white-tailed buck was recently found circling a Tennessee suburb with hair covering both of its eyeballs. According to the National Deer Association, now Preston, you might be thinking maybe this bad boy just had some new wave haircut, some Mm -hmm, some super mm -hmm. long emo bangs. Oh, yeah. But that's not the case, pal. This bizarre condition is a rare example of corneal dermoids, 
which occur when the tissue of a particular type grows in the wrong place on the body. Now, let me send you a picture here real quick so you can get an idea what the hell I'm talking about. What the fuck is wrong with this eyeball? Yeah, imagine, if you will, the hair on this deer, the fur, was not only growing on the body, but also on the irises of its eyes. So this deer was... Yeah, this deer is practically blind. Ugh. Residents first noticed this deer circling in Farragut, a suburb outside of Knoxville, in August of 2020, and immediately notified the local wildlife authorities that this strange deer was kind of mucking around and they weren't sure if it had mange or it had rabies or maybe it was sick. What really raised alarm bells, though, is this buck was bleeding, disorientated, and apparently lacked any and all fear of humans, animal control officers, and police. Now, they actually thought that this deer might have been infected with chronic wasting disease, CWD. And if you guys remember that, we talked about that particular uh, disease on episode 117 of the podcast. I think that was our 2019 uh, precursor to our Halloween episode. This mm-hmm, was called mm-hmm. Zombie Martian Cattle Shoes from Space. That's a, that was a, that's a, a tongue twister right there. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. And therefore, like they decided. Like it's a, an Ed Wood movie. <laughs> it could have been. Uh, it could have been. Or it could have been a really badass sequel to Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> Unfortunately, because they feared this deer had CWD, they decided to kill the deer in order to prevent it from spreading chronic wasting disease to any other animals in the nearby area. Sterling Daniels of Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency then went on to send the animal's head in for testing at Southwestern Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study Unit, or SCWDS as some people call it, at the University of Georgia, noting that strangely, both the eyes were covered in fur. And as it turns out, the deer didn't have CWD, but was instead suffering from an epizootic hemorrhage disease, EHD, which can cause fever and disorientation. This would explain the animal's odd behavior, but not the hairy eyeballs. In a formal report, the SCWDS representative Dr. Nicole Nemeth and Michelle Willis wrote that the deer had discs of skin in place of its cornea, which is a transparent part of the eyeball that covers the iris and the pupil. The corneal dermoids, as in this case of this deer, often contain elements of normal skin, including hair follicles, sweat glands, collagen, and fat. Thus, the masses generally are benign, non-invasive, and are congenital defects, likely resulting in an embryonal developmental defect. So because this deer had the skin growing over its irises, which would be the same skin it had growing over its body, that DNA caused fur to grow over this deer's eyeballs. Oh, it looks so creepy, man. I'll be sure to put this in the show notes on Instagram. Speaking to Quality Whitetails, the official magazine of National Deer Association, Dr. Nemeth commented that we assume this to be congenital, existing at birth, so we surmised that it survived a long time having this bizarre defect. We also assume the dermoids developed gradually and the deer was able to adapt to its decreasing field of vision over time, meaning the deer was probably able to see when it was first born and then over time became blinder and blinder and blinder until it lost probably all of its sight. 
This was only the second ever sighting of a deer with corneal dermoids, the first having been killed by a hunter in Louisiana back in 2007. I wonder if could they just like, I don't know, like sh- put some numbing drops and like sh- shave the eyeball for the poor thing. I don't know, man. Um, maybe we should do some more investigations. I'll check with the eye doctor that I work with yeah, and see if maybe they know um, if you shave down the fur, does that still prevent you from seeing because the skin has gradually grown over? Mm. Or if it's a transparent skin, I don't know. Now, the next story is a follow-up to something we talked about just a few episodes ago. Big shout-out to Regina. Regina, thank you for sending this in. We sure appreciate it. In Oklahoma, you guys all remember, Oklahoma State Rep Justin Humphrey recently unleashed a plan suggesting to lawmakers that they set aside $25,000 for a bounty for the capture of Bigfoot. Well, boys and girls... That new bounty has escalated quickly to $2 million in just a few weeks after the bill was proposed to allow the capturing of the supposed mythical creature. The number one rule now, though, is Sasquatch hunters must capture the Bigfoot, and the Bigfoot must be unharmed, and they must not injure anybody else or break any laws in the process of capturing said Bigfoot. So thank goodness they decided to go ahead and kind of ease up on that because no one wants to shoot and kill Bigfoot, man. Let's capture it and then uh, maybe go from there, which is kind of like a Bush League version of, uh, you know, Kong versus Godzilla because a bunch of these hunters out there trying to wrangle a supposed Sasquatch could be kind of (laughs) comical. State tourism officials are now developing a Bigfoot promotional campaign which would include license plates, decals, annual commemorative tracking licenses, and Bigfoot checkout stations all throughout Oklahoma. The current plan is to allow businesses along State Highway 259A to sell annual Bigfoot tracking permits. Profits from all the sales of the license plates, the permits, and everything else would then go to benefit local communities and state parks. Humphrey said his ultimate goal is to draw in tourists, providing safe, affordable fun for Oklahoma. So I got to say, hats off to Mr. Humphrey here, because originally I think we were all kind of pissed off. He's wanting just to shoot up old Bigfoot. I don't know. Bigfoot's like one of the creatures, like cryptids you you can't hunt. You can't go out. You can't shoot Bigfoot. Now, Nessie, I don't give a fuck about Nessie. Shoot her all day long. But Bigfoot, (laughs) you leave that motherfucker alone. Oh, man. Um, (laughs) God, I wish Stephen was here to tell this story. So Steve and I went to the Paranormal Egg Experience. It's a food truck here in Wichita. Uh They make some banging breakfast. You've had it before, right, Preston? Oh, yeah. I'm the one that tried it first, motherfucker. Okay, I was going to say, I thought you and Jeffrey may have tried it first. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, Stephen hadn't got a chance to go there yet. With his new job, it opens up his schedule, and he and I had a little lunch date, brunch date, where we went to Spectrum Music here in town to peruse their new soundtracks they just dropped. And then Paranormal Egg Experience was right outside, as per usual, on the weekends. And so I took Steve over there to try some of their really badass breakfasts. Now, Steven didn't know what to get, whereas I've tried pretty much everything. 
And so he went with the Bigfoot burrito and a side order of Squatch Tots. Squatch Tots, folks, will change your life, trust me. <laughs> I, however, went the week prior with Shayla, and we wanted to try the Nessie, which was a uh, English muffin sausage egg and cheese style breakfast uh, sandwich. What are you doing, Luna? My dog just came running in here and stopped. We wanted to try the Nessie. The Nessie was going to be a breakfast sandwich on an English muffin. Now, however, they had ran out of English muffins. So when Stephen and I went back, he ordered his Bigfoot burrito, and I ordered the Nessie. I was so stoked to try this thing because I love English muffin sandwiches. And then the guy that owns it, he looked over and says, Now, you know, with the Nessie sandwich, it's great by itself. But you can actually make that a messy Nessie. And we'll... <laughs> <laughs> we'll put on uh, sausage gravy. I think he said like, uh, oh gosh, what do you say? Mushrooms and some kind of uh, some garlic or garlic aioli or something like that. And I said, wait, you can make a messy Nessie? And Steve looked over at me, looked over at the guy and then looked back over at me and started laughing. And the guy looked at us and I was like, well, you know, we've got the podcast and I've talked to him a couple of times about it before. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, we've got an inside joke on our show about the messy Nessie. And he got kind of excited and said, oh, really? I said, yeah, dude, but um, I'm not going to go into details. Ours is a really crude sex joke about an inflatable sex doll. <laughs> <laughs> and his face just melted to a very stoic, <laughs> straight face. And he says, oh, okay. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Your sandwich is probably much better than our crude little high school joke. But, oh, man, yeah, it was killer. It was uh, it was really, really good. But our main story of the night comes from ancientorigins.net and also irishpost.com. Preston, have you ever heard about the Carlingford leprechauns? Nope, but you're going to tell me all about it. I'm going to tell you all about the Carlingford leprechauns and the leprechaun whisperer. Oh, they're after me lucky charms. Now, the reason why I chose this next story for tonight's topic is because it kind of has to do with what they're doing in Oklahoma right now and also in Washington. It has to do with the preservation of a mythical, mystical, or cryptid creature. So the story begins in 1989 in Carlingford, Ireland. A man by the name of P.J. O'Hare was out tending his garden when he heard a bizarre scream echo from a mountainside in the nearby Foy Mountains, which is a part of the Mourne mountain range. Now he rushes over to the mountainside to find something very peculiar. In the ground, still smoking, is the smoldering remains of a small diminutive creature. All that's left when O'Hare reaches the scene is a set of green trousers, a green jacket, a small green gnome-like hat, scorched earth, and four golden coins. And then, of course, a skeleton. So O'Hare, not understanding what exactly happened, he did know one thing, that he himself possibly just discovered the skeletal remains of a freshly deceased leprechaun. So he did what anybody would do. He took the remains, gold coins, clothing and all, and he put the skeleton and the strange clothing into a glass case 
which was then displayed at his local pub. Now, Presto, let me send you this picture, and I'll post this in the Instagram. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Those are little midget bones. Now, as with what happens in these stories almost every single time, some of the folks in Carlingford believed him, while others thought O'Hare surely was just hoaxing everybody. Yeah. One particular person in the group of non-believers was O'Hare's friend, Mr. Kevin McCoilty Woods. Now, McCoilty wanted to find out if his friend was bullshitting or not, so he made the ultimate plan. He himself would concoct a scientific investigation by hiding five ceramic leprechaun statues throughout the hillsides of Carlingford. And underneath each of these statues would be 1,000 Irish pounds of prize money under each individual ceramic leprechaun. And his idea would be that as people go around trying to find this uh, Easter egg hunt of sorts, somebody would be bound to discover a real-life leprechaun hidden amongst the ceramic lookalikes. But unfortunately, he wasn't so lucky, and neither were the townsfolk. Now, they did find the five ceramic statues and also the prize money, but never went on to find a real-life leprechaun. Now, time goes by, and unfortunately, O'Hare ended up dying. But the remains of the purported leprechaun stayed inside the pub, even after it changed many hands and was resold. The box containing the remains of the leprechaun remain inside the pub, the clothing and the skeleton. But however, strangely enough, the four coins had disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now, a few years after this, Mr. McCoilty was out repairing a stone wall in his nearby property when he came across a peculiar leather purse-like satchel that was buried inside the stones of his stone wall. Now he pulls open the purse and inside he finds four golden coins. And after finding the coins, just days later, McQuilty would begin a long series of leprechaun encounters, making him himself a true believer. His first encounter with leprechauns was one afternoon when he was walking his dog through the nearby mountains. While walking, he and his dog came across three diminutive creatures, all wearing green trousers, green jackets, and green gnome-like hats. Now, at first, the leprechauns didn't take notice of McQuilty or his dog, but as soon as they did, both McQuilty and his hound were frozen paralyzed. The three leprechauns got up, milled around for a moment, and then disappeared under a pile of nearby rocks. And shortly after the leprechauns disappeared, McQuilty and the dog both regained their faculties and quickly made haste and retreated back to McQuilty's house. Now, when McQuilty and the dog returned home, his wife began a very intense interrogation. She wanted to know where he was, what the hell he was doing, because she was sure he was down at that damn pub again, getting drunk in the afternoon, instead of doing his chores. But McQuilty assured his wife, no, 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 no. I was just out walking the dog, just as I promised, and I couldn't have been gone for more than an hour and a half, which was the average time he went to take his dog for a walk. But something even more bizarre happened. McQuilty's wife informed him 
that he'd actually been gone for almost eight hours. He had left earlier in the afternoon, and it was now after eight o'clock in the evening. Now, after this encounter, McQuilty would go on to encounter other leprechauns on his property and throughout Carlingford, one of which was a much older leprechaun by the name of Carriage, who claimed to be an elder of 236 leprechauns who lived in a nearby mountain. Now, Carriage, the elder leprechaun, would go on to tell McCulty that he and the other leprechauns surviving in the area were unfortunately the last of their kind, due to the fact that the local folks of Carlingford had simply stopped believing in leprechaun and fey folk, thus slowly killing the once millions of leprechauns that lived in the area. So these were kind of like a modern-day Santa Claus. Gotta believe. You have to believe in order for it to exist. You have to believe so the magic is still there. So real real quick, um, I don't know if we fully covered it on the ep- on one of our past episodes or not, but there is that I, in Ireland, there's that island called like the Island of Man or the Island of Cork. And it is um, it's where they have their own dialect that um, e- there's no other like form of Gaelic that even matches to it. Like it's so unique. And it used to be um, like when you ask the locals, they would tell you that it, it was the language of the fairies or the language of, the, of like the, the fae folk or the spirits. And um, it was said that uh, the, on that island, um, they were so like in tune with nature that um, when they started to modernize and bring in like trains and... Um, you know, like almost in like the industrial age that all of those, like the leprechauns, the, the dwarves, the, you know, whatever all those different creatures were because they stopped speaking that language that, um, it almost disconnected them from that realm that they shared with those other entities. And now only like, 12 people can actually speak this special form of Gaelic. Like it's becoming a dead language. And because it's a dead language, they no longer like that society no longer believes in those things. So they no longer have that connection with the, the, you know, the spirits and the fairies and the leprechauns and all that. Whoa, that's interesting. Yeah. Now McCoyalty would go on to have several other visits from carriage and other leprechauns to the point where he began to carry a notebook with him. Now, the reason for carrying the notebook is that he would want to record down the different conversations they would have. That way he could just kind of keep track of how well the supposed Fae knew the local area. And to his surprise, carriage had specific dates and times when families were moving into the area, when buildings were being constructed, when local pubs would open up. You know, a pretty detailed description of major events that would change the landscape in the area. Now, although some folks didn't quite believe McCoyalty and the fact that there might be real-life leprechauns living in the area, it doesn't mean that McCoyalty was by himself in his own beliefs. So McCoyalty, along with several other like-minded individuals, began to campaign for the mountain that the leprechauns supposedly lived in to be made a protected area by the European Union. Their wish was finally granted in 2009, 
30 years after the first sighting of the leprechaun from O'Hare. The European Union Habitats Directive went on to agree that leprechauns should now be protected species in the local area due to the simple fact that they could neither be proven or disproven to truly exist. So in the off chance that leprechauns were real, they ought to be preserved and protected so that this species would not go completely extinct. But what's interesting here is the leprechauns that O'Hare and McCoilty would go on to describe wearing the green hats, the green jackets, the green pants, weren't quite the same leprechaun that existed pre-18th century. Because what we know as modern-day leprechauns consist of, like, the movie Leprechaun. They have the leprechaun hat, the green flat hat. They've got a green jacket, green shoes, green socks, green pants, similar to what McCoilty and O'Hare had seen. Actual leprechauns predating the 17th century, going back to Germanic lore, were actually more like red lawn gnomes. These creatures would wear crimson shorts or pants, crimson jackets, and long pointed-tipped hats, almost like gnomes. And while most modern-day leprechauns were known to be predominantly male, very mischievous but sometimes very helpful creatures, the original leprechauns that we know of from Germanic folklore were actually little bastards. They were very cruel. They would go on to have a lot of different... Uh, pranks they would play, they would go on to do a lot of really dastardly things. So this is very interesting that we're dealing with modern-day leprechauns very akin to pop culture leprechauns. But it was never really proven one way or the other whether McQuilty was telling the truth, if he was just getting a rise out of folks, or if leprechauns truly did live in that local area. But what's interesting here, very similar to what's going on in Oklahoma and what they're also trying to pass over in Washington State, is that we've got a whole population dedicating their time to preserving the potential for a make-believe creature. And so now to keep the dream alive and to continue to celebrate the leprechauns in Carlingford, Ireland, on the second Sunday every May, they hold a giant celebration for the leprechaun fey folk that inhabit the local mountain. And it's rumored that the surviving leprechauns, in honor of the humans who saved them, will go on to hide 2,000 cauldrons throughout the mountainside, containing various coins and various goodies, if you're lucky enough to find during this mass celebration. And that is the tale of the Carlingfern leprechauns. I mean, I'm, I'm like Mulder, I believe. Yeah. Well, Preston, old pal, old friend, why don't we get out of here and let these people get back to their celebrations? Thank you guys so much for listening, and we just would like to ask, if you'd like more of what we have to offer, check out 13 Nightmares, our horror movie podcast. We're getting ready to kick that back off again. And maybe check out some of the other shows on the Pixelated Sausage Network. Check out Animazingly Baca. Check out Pixelated Sausage. A lot of good stuff going on there with our buddy Mark. And if you're in the area, please stop by CD Trade Post at Pontiac Seneca and drop in and say hello to Leslie and the gang. 
And as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that's so lush and is the same size as a full-grown leprechaun, check out BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order and pick yourself up some scents like Dundee Cedar Bay Rum Sweet Tobacco Fresh Mint and Classic. Mm-mm-mm, that is the good stuff. Oh, I got some big dubs for me beard, Lally. All right, and on behalf of Steve, I'd like to say, guys, tonight, while you're out celebrating tomorrow, all week, for all time, please, drink responsibly, call for a ride, and use some good common sense. And until next time, cheers to the weird shit in the world and to those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and 